a few years ago, which would have been like when I was in college and uh, maybe even high school, which would have been fewer, fewer than, uh, maybe more, maybe it's more years than fewer. <laughs> I remember reading a book, it's just this book that circulated, the name of the book was God Smuggler, and uh, just a little bit of history, at one point in the, in the globe, the world was divided between the free world and the communist world, and there was this line of division called the Iron Curtain. Now, that Iron Curtain was not literally a curtain. It was, unless you went to Berlin, and there actually was a wall. That is no more. It's been removed. Uh, but Brother Andrew, at that time, was a Dutch pastor. And uh, so he was closer to the line of division across Europe between the free world and the communist world. And it, it, within the communist uh, countries, the, 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 those that followed Jesus were persecuted. And they were persecuted in subtle ways. One of the ways was that Bibles were illegal in most communist countries. So Bibles were confiscated. So you had people in gatherings like us that couldn't have this book. It was considered illegal to have this book. And you couldn't really have a gathering like this. This would have been an illegal gathering. So Brother Andrew knew that that was happening in countries that had a, had a history of the church... So he knew people following Jesus were persecuted. And he wanted to do something about it. And so, you know, I don't know how he arrived at this. But what he decided to do is, you know, Jesus, when, you, when your ministry was on the earth, you, you healed the blind. So you caused people that could not see to see. So he'd get in his little car and he'd put a box of Bibles on the passenger seat. And he'd drive up to the checkpoint between the free world and the communist world. And his prayer was this, Jesus, now I'm asking you to make seeing men blind. And for years, Jesus answered that prayer. And he would putt, I just envisioned him in a Volkswagen, putt through this little checkpoint with this box of Bibles and they were not seen. And he would go and he would distribute them to those that are following Jesus that didn't have a Bible, encourage them, and then he'd drive back to Holland, put on his wooden shoes and whatever. Well, a few years ago, Steve and Mary Ann, happy birthday, by the way, the couple that arranged their marriage so they'd have the same birthday. And, isn't that amazing? How does that happen? Planning. Good planning. <laughs> well... Steve and Mary Ann, Susan and I were in Bethlehem, that would be West Bank, occupied Palestinian territories, you know, over there in the Middle East. And lo and behold, we get to meet Brother Andrew. Because what happened with Brother Andrew after the Iron Curtain, well, you know, once you publish a book about what you're doing, well, it's kind of toast, you can't keep doing that. But I think the walls were coming down, things were changing, but he still had this burden for persecuted Christians that... And, and he went to Lebanon, so he went to the Middle East. And then he ends up uh, being one of the founders of Bethlehem Bible College. So the, the school that Steve, you know, he's the, kind of the office manager of Bethlehem Bible College in New Braunfels. Who would ever imagine that? Uh, that school was founded by Brother Andrew. And so he was at the 30th anniversary, which we were attending of the Bible College, and we got to spend an evening with him. What a guy! What a glimmer. And his, his promise was, I can get you through any closed door. 
any closed door on the planet, I can get you through. Cannot promise to get you back, but you can get through it. <laughs> That's who was a great guy. He was actually there to be the speaker at the 30th anniversary, but also he's, he's going to Gaza. He's going to visit persecuted Christians in the Gaza Strip. And not only that, he's also going to bless his enemies because he's taking medicine uh, to one of the Muslim Brotherhood leaders that he befriended through the years. An amazing man uh, that really represents Jesus well on the planet. So Brother Andrew, just re- I remembered all that because in our, in our story, our history, there's, there's been persecution of people that follow Jesus. Uh, Open Doors Ministry looks at the nations and they come up each year with 50, the 50 nations that there's still persecution of Christians. And I just put some of those nations up there and I just wanted you to see Syria. Because when we're, when we're talking about Saul on the road to Damascus and he's going breathing murderous threats against those following Jesus in Damascus, he's in Syria. So in the first century, there was persecution against Christians in, in Syria and there still is today, tragically. Persecution of Christians can be traced historically from the time of Jesus in the first century to the present time. Early Christians were persecuted for their faith at the hands of both Jews, from whose religion Christianity arose, and the Roman Empire, which controlled much of the land across which early Christianity was distributed. Early in the 4th century, the 400s, the religion of Christianity was legalized by the Edict of Milan, and it eventually became the state church of the Roman Empire. So from the first century to today, there's, there, there's, there's persecution about, from people that follow Jesus. And the story about Saul and the conversion of Saul on the road to Damascus, the story of someone that was committed to persecuting those that were following Jesus. And Jesus did something about it. Jesus stepped into history after his resurrection and said, you know, Saul... Why are you persecuting me? Because when you mess with my people, you're messing with me. And that confrontation on the road to Damascus then, then led to really the ordination, the commissioning of Saul to be a spokesman for Jesus. So the one he's persecuting, he is now gonna, he's now going to tell a different story. And so this faithful follower, Ananias, gets to, to lay his hands on Saul and, and to pray God's blessing on this former persecutor, this enemy, to see the things like scales fall off of his eyes for him to be healed so he could see. And, and then for him to say, you know, Saul, God, Jesus, you're going to now be his chosen instrument to deliver his message. Wow. Wow. That's a huge change. So Saul, you're going you're to carry Jesus' name. And the, the idea there is, don't think like, okay, Saul, you've been persecuting me, so now I'm going to lay it on you, buddy. There's going to be a burden on you. No, it's not that at all. This is not, it's not a burden for Saul to carry the name of Jesus. What, what Jesus did to him is he caused something to change internally so that he's actually now compelled with as much zeal as he had 
to persecute the church. Now he's got this zeal to tell everybody, you know, I got it wrong. And I've changed my mind about who Jesus is. The big question that we get to in our story this morning is, how do you, how do you integrate somebody like Saul into a home group in the church in Damascus? I mean, here, here is a guy who, like a week ago, has been, you've been hearing rumors, this, 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 wow, this guy that really hates us is coming to Damascus, he's got arrest warrants for us, and now he's going to show up in one of our home groups. How do you integrate Saul into your home group? How do you integrate somebody that last week was persecuting those that follow Jesus, and this week, he's not. You know, how, how, how do these Jewish followers of, of Jesus in Damascus, how do they overcome suspicions? I mean, I mean, do you, like when he says, hello, my name's Saul, do you even say, well, I don't want you to know my name because I might be on your list. Now, how do they overcome that? And, and then how does, how does Saul handle the big change? How does he handle those big changes? This is a huge change in his life. Then how does the Saul's, he had traveling companions and he had people back in Jerusalem that sent him with the arrest warrants. How do they handle this big change? I mean, this is a big, big change for Saul and now for Syria as well as going back to Jerusalem. This is big, big change. So in Acts chapter 9, Verse 19 to 25. Saul spent a few days getting acquainted with the Damascus disciples, but then he went right to work, wasting no time preaching in the meeting places that this Jesus was, is, forevermore will be the Son of God. The disciples in Damascus were caught off guard by this, and not all Saul sure that they could trust him. They kept saying, isn't this the man who wreaked havoc in Jerusalem among the believers? And didn't he come here to do the same thing, arrest us and drag us off to jail in Jerusalem by sentencing by the high priests? But their suspicions didn't slow Saul down, not even for a moment. His momentum was up now. He plowed straight into the opposition, disarming the Damascus Jews and trying to show them that this Jesus was the Messiah. After this had gone on quite a long time, some Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul got wind of it, and they were watching the city gates around the clock so they could kill him. So one night, the disciples, those following Jesus, engineered his escape by lowering lowering him over the wall in a basket. As you read that account, it starts with getting acquainted with, with a former enemy. And I just tried to imagine, I just even if, if someone that we determined was an enemy of Jesus, who detested those that followed Jesus, who wanted those that followed Jesus to be arrested, and if they were killed, no big deal, get rid of them. If they walked in the door this morning, how in the world would we relate? Getting acquainted with Saul. I mean, what do you say? 
Hi. Uh, how, do you, how do you overcome that? I mean, you know his reputation. And then what do you, what do you ask him? Uh, how many people you put in prison? I mean, <laughs> what, do you, what do you say? And then what, what, what about Saul? What would it have been like for him to walk into the group of people that he was coming to persecute? What what, what do you say? The only thing I could, the only kind of common ground would be what what happened between you and Jesus on your way here? And And I can't imagine Saul not telling that story just still like probably trembling just overwhelmed with emotion and also probably with apology. You know, I, I was on my way here to make sure you all died. And I'm so sorry. I was so wrong. I, I, I mean, it's just really hard that getting acquainted. And the message, it says it, it didn't take long to get acquainted. Maybe it was just really awkward. And, you know, I... I I'm just going to have to start doing what Jesus has asked me to do. So he went right to work. And he went right to the synagogues in Damascus. And basically what he says is, I've changed my mind. Jesus showed up. And in a, in a, in a moment of time, and then three days of blindness, I had time to think about it. I've changed my mind. That's what repentance is. I've changed the way I see things. I, I know, I know. I, I, I said Jesus was a blasphemer. Jesus who claimed to be God. I'm here now to say I was wrong. Jesus is the Son of God. And I know I said that Jesus is not the Messiah. I know that I said that he was a false Messiah. But I'm here to tell you in your synagogue today, he is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He's the king. I've changed my mind. Jesus has convinced me. And then he would say something like, you know, yes, I know, I know, I know I said that when the kingdom of God comes, the Romans will be gone, the Gentiles wiped out, and these renegade Jews that are following Jesus, that are not pure, as pure as me and following the law, they're going to be dealt with. I know I said that that's what the kingdom was, but I was wrong. I now know Jesus is the king, and Jesus has inaugurated his kingdom. Change. He changed his message. And did you notice that with that change of the message, did you notice this, the shifting of positions? You know, those that were in the synagogues that were probably inviting, hey, Saul, we got, we got a lot of Jews in Damascus that are following Jesus. We, we need you to come here and kind of clean house. So like Saul would have been kind of their hero. But when he changes the story, did you notice? Now they want to kill him. You know, there's some, there's, it, this is always, this is just a little clue. When, you, when you're a person of faith, and you end up getting so angry and upset with somebody else that you want to kill them, that really says something about your faith. Do you, you all know that? <laughs> I mean, something has gone horribly wrong with people that are just murderers. 
And so now they want to kill him. And then did you notice those that were going to be killed, they want to save him. I mean, talk about change. Talk about swapping positions. This is a big change happening with people. And they're people just like you and me. So we as a community can learn from our history. Here's one thing I think we can learn. There is no time like the present for all of us to announce Jesus to our generation. Now, I've been around us long enough to hear this again and again and again. Oh, I'm not ready. You know, if, if I could just like come sit in a pew like for 10 more years and hear sermon after sermon and sermon after Jesus, I'd be, I'd be ready. Or maybe, you know, maybe I need some kind of certification. You know, maybe, maybe I should go to Bible school or maybe I should get a, like a master's degree in theology. Then I'd be ready. Or maybe if I had, you know, if you would give me the right stuff, you know, I, I, could, I, could, I could do that, but I don't have the right stuff. Did you notice that in a matter of a week, two at the most, now, I know Saul was highly educated. But he, wasn't, he was not announcing anything that he studied. He's announcing the opposite of what he studied. We don't have to be highly educated or well-churched to announce to our generation, Jesus is the Son of God. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. Well, why do you believe that? Well, because I've read the story and I've had conversation with him. I've experienced Jesus. And I believe that what the Bible reveals about him is true. Jesus is. And Jesus is the Messiah. Well, how do you know that? Well, because the Bible says that I've read the story. I didn't read all of the story. That's kind of too long. But I've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I've read that, and that's who Jesus said he was. And I believe that's who Jesus says he is. So I, I, I know he's the Messiah. And because he is, I know that he has inaugurated his kingdom. Well, what does that mean? Well, well, that means that he, he's improved my life. My life is better now that I know Jesus, and I'm noticing he's beginning to change things around me so that things in life be, are becoming better and better. And I know that's his, his plan is to improve life on planet Earth. And we get to cooperate with him. Can you prove it? Well, no, not really. I can't really prove it. I just know it's true because it's my experience. It, it, it doesn't take education to be able to tell our generation about Jesus. It's, it's just, it's, it's all of us. We all get to do this. And then another thing I think it's really, really good here is this story really encourages us to overcome our suspicions that people can't change. Again, I've been around us long enough to kind of pick up that we really are pretty cynical. 
especially when one of us blows it. When we really mess up. You know, the old statement, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. And when we, one of us mess up, we're, it's, we're toast. Because we just have a really hard time believing that there is a God that actually changes us. The moment we said yes to following Jesus, he began to change us <laughs> from the inside out. I've been having conversations with my family. My dad's health is failing. Uh, those of you that don't know, my dad has, has had a difficult past. My dad has been an alcoholic. He's been an addict. But my dad is no longer an addict. You know why? Because he is a recovering addict. Do you know there's a world of difference between an addict and a recovering addict? <laughs> but I'm, I have, I've kind of have family members that are still like just not believing that there is a God that can change us, even when we're despicable. He did it with Saul in a moment. And then a lifetime, a person's changed. We believe in a God that brings change for the better in our lives. Change for the better in our relationships. Change for the better in how we live life, handle life in this, this world, in this age. We can overcome our suspicions because of who God is, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does for us. Last thing, isn't it sad that there's still over 50 nations where people following Jesus are persecuted? I mean, I'm not persecuted. I might, I might get a little embarrassed, but I'm, I've never been persecuted. So wouldn't it be great if we could, like Brother Andrew, just remember that we have family members in at least 50 nations that are being persecuted? And wouldn't it be really great if we started to pray for those that are persecuting the church? Wouldn't it really be great if we believed what we just read? That God... Jesus can get a hold of an individual that's wreaking havoc against the people that are following Jesus. See, the pe- I, don't, I, I don't think people in Damascus, at the, I don't know, I don't know if anybody was saying, you know, hey, Saul's coming, let's pray for him. Jesus, deal with Saul on the road to Damascus. I don't know. But you know, in the world that we live in, I mean, our, our fear is not, a Saul coming with arrest warrants. You know, our fear, people are going to show up in our neighborhood with a bomb. Are we praying for them? Jesus. Folks that are just so bent on destruction, Jesus, stop them on their road. Jesus, encounter them. Jesus, change them in an instant. From not believing in you to believing in you. Do what you did to Saul, to anybody that's persecuting. I mean, do we have a faith that really believes there's a God that can do that? You know, if we did, then we don't don't really have to live in fear. We can be people of faith. And believe there's a God that's looking after 
our planet. And he wants to put an end to this stuff. And we get to be part of that by praying for those that come against Jesus and want to persecute others. Now, how's that from learning from our history? Why don't we stand, why don't we pray together, and let's see if it happens. Jesus, I thank you that in this story that we've read, in our history, there was a point in time where there was an individual, his name is Saul, and another individual by the name of Ananias, and those two men came together, and Ananias laid his hands on Saul and said, in the name of Jesus, you are now empowered to tell the world about Jesus. And Lord, I know that those of us in this room, we're not, we're not, out, we're not bent on destruction. We're not bent on persecuting Christians. You know, we just don't, we just don't sense the unction. We don't, just don't sense the ordaining, the commissioning for us to announce Jesus to our generation. And so, Holy Spirit, I know that I, I can't, I don't, I don't want to guilt anybody into that, and I, I don't want to force anybody to that, but I just ask that you would empower us as a community to announce Jesus to our generation. And I'd ask that you would give us opportunity today and tomorrow and the next day just to run into people that we get to just say, you know, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. The kingdom is near. (laughs) Empower us to announce Jesus. And Lord, as we do that, I pray that you would give us a faith that really, really acknowledges that you change. You change us. You change our world from that which is bad to something that is better. And Lord, we pray this morning for those brothers and sisters in our faith who are being persecuted. We pray that you would encourage them, that you draw near to them. And that, oh Lord, for those that are persecuting the church, we'd ask that you would bless those that are persecuting the church. Bless them with the best thing that could ever happen to them, which is to come to know you. Lord, as you stop Saul on the road to Damascus, Lord, we pray this moment, right now, any, anybody around this globe that's, that's on their way to wreak havoc against you and your people, we ask you, O oh Lord Jesus, to show up in their life and ask them, what in the world are you doing? Why are you persecuting me? Lord, we pray that you would change people. People just change what they know about you to believe in who you are. Lord, our faith is in you. You can do these big things. Give us the faith to believe that that's what you want to do and that you want us to participate with you in that. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you in your name. Amen.